You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. Katie, compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be here. Um, so as I was saying, I, I came into program in October of 2017. Took me just about a month to get abstinent um, and get a sponsor and really work this program. Um, I am maintaining a 100-pound weight release uh, from my top weight. And thank you so much. Um, and that is only possible through working the steps and connecting with my higher power. Um, I think initially the thing that I really liked about the rooms was the community aspect. I liked, you know, being in the physical rooms with people. I loved the hugs. I loved, you know, people just so warm and welcoming and so kind. And that was what kept me coming back in the beginning was, was the community. So thank you all for being here because even if, you know, you're here and your camera's not on or you're here and, you know, you got a whole bunch of other stuff going on in your life, the fact that you're here and that you're listening it makes us feel a lot less alone. So thank you all for showing up both for yourself and for the group. Um, I think I had food issues um, since I was a kid. I mean, it it goes back a long, long way. Um, My first binge buddy was my grandfather. Um, I was his first granddaughter and he had diabetes and he and I would sneak off and eat sugar together. (laughs) And he loved me and I loved him. I was like, probably three or four. And I remember saying, or like my parents told me that I said this, that I was like, I'm going to marry Poppy. Like I loved him so much that, and I just thought when you love someone so much that you marry them. So like, I didn't understand the concept as a, as a small child, but I loved him so much. And he would take me to the diner and we would get, you know, our, our goods or, you know, and he'd be like, don't tell Nana. And, you know, it would be our secret. And I have one memory in particular of one night where I got an ice cream sundae that was way too big for a child. And I ended up getting sick from it, but I didn't, it was like that the way that we shared food together was his way of showing his love for me. And he would treat me to whatever I wanted. He would say yes to everything. And, um, that, idea of food equaling love really continued to carry out throughout the rest of my life. Um, And I'm happy to report that today I feel like I have a really good relationship with food. I really, truly love cooking. And when I cook, especially when I'm cooking a meal for myself, it's almost like a form of meditation for me because I'm doing something with my hands. I'm doing something with the intention of fueling my body with healthy nourishment And I always pray before I eat as well. So when I make my plate and I try to make it look pretty, even if it's just for myself, I say, you know, God, please let this be enough. Even if, you know, sometimes I'll do a full, like a longer prayer, but usually it just is pretty simple and it's just, God, please let this be enough. Um, And there are some days where I look at my plate and I'm like, this doesn't look like it's going to be enough. (laughs) You know, like I already have my mind made up before I've even started eating. But I I found that um, when I pray before I eat, And when I'm done, 
physically leaving the table and drinking some water and waiting 15 minutes, 90% of the time I realize I'm good. I'm fine. But if it's like, if I'm at like a family function where the food is just at the table and I can pick on things, it's, it's like no go. I've learned to limit it to one plate. Um, I happen to be vegan. I've been vegan for six years. So I was vegan before I came into program. Um, that particular meal plan just works for my body. Um, I fully recognize that everyone's meal plan is a little bit different and everyone's body responds to things differently. For me, eating a plant-based diet really just like made me come alive. That was where I initially started losing weight. Um, because I went from binging in college, you know, at the dining hall when there was no one there to tell me no, and it was buffet style for every single meal. I went from that and, you know, fast food and binge drinking and then smoking weed and getting the munchies and eating and, you know, the whole circle. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. Um, I went from that to eating plant-based. So of course I started to lose weight. Like, of course, you know, it's that's science right there. But what I didn't have was a spiritual solution to keep the weight off. And what I started to notice was that even though I was eating vegan, it was the way that I was eating. It was the behavior that I was eating. Thank you so much, Selma. It was the behavior behind the food. It was the sneak eating. It was the speed of which I was eating where I would just shovel it down. And, you know, cause this was before I had heard anything about, you know, pacing yourself or, you know, anything program related whatsoever. I was just, I just switched the foods that I was eating. And especially in Los Angeles, there's vegan everything. You can get vegan pizza, you can get vegan mac and cheese, you know, it's pretty easy to still get quote unquote, naughty foods, but they happen to not have any animal products in it. So that's when I came to realize that it was, it was something deeper than just finding the right diet, finding the right, you know, combination of foods. I tried all of the, you know, commercial weight loss programs. I tried, you know, juice cleanses. I tried, you know, the really restrictive diets that just weren't sustained or uh, yeah, sustainable. Like I couldn't sustain them. I could not stick with it. And I would go through periods, like there definitely was a period of time in college where I did drop like 40 pounds, um, you know, just by like not going balls to the walls. Every time I went to the dining hall, like I started to, you know, I gained well over the freshman 15 when I went away to college. Um, and that was uncomfortable. Um, I was a tour guide. I was a campus tour guide in college. And when I would give tours around campus, I would be winded. Like my, by the end of the day, after giving tours, my knees would be hurting. My hips would be hurting. I was winded. It was embarrassing. Here I was supposed to be like representing the college and I just wasn't taking care of myself. Um, I just, I had, and, and there still is a part of this that lingers within me in terms of my defects that, you know, I've done a lot of work around. It's this sense of not enoughness. And sometimes it shows up even in things that have nothing to do with food, which is what tells me that it's a true character defect and that the food is just a symptom of a deeper problem. You know, the food isn't the problem. The food is just, the food was our solution or the food, you know, the, the food behaviors was a symptom of a deeper problem. But yeah, this idea of like not enough, like even um, with working from home, I finally bit the bullet and bought myself a desk after working at the dining room table for five months. And I like put it, I put it together myself and I was super excited, but then it was like, Oh, well, I need a, a plant. Oh, well, I need a lamp. Oh, well, I need this. I need that. Like, and my mind just started looking for the easier, softer way. My mind just kept looking for more things to soothe myself. 
And that's when I came to realize like, okay, I don't need any of that stuff. The desk, sure. That was like a necessity just for like my back and my neck and everything. I needed like a proper setup, you know, for working from home, but, um, all the other stuff, it's just fluff. It's like me trying to fill a God-sized hole with material items. And it's that instant gratification that, I, I still there, it still creeps up, you know, sometimes just, just wanting that, you know, to, to fill that with something, whether it be with shopping, whether it be, you know, food, anything. So, um, the other thing that I heard recently in a meeting that, that made me laugh, um, was I'm the type of compulsive overeater that if shampoo is on sale, I want nine bottles. Like that's me too. You know, like I, I'm a, not a hoarder, but like, I like to be prepared. Like I also was the, the girl that had, a bag, like a purse that always had just a bunch of stuff in it. I was the bag lady. I always just had excess. I just wanted stuff. I wanted to feel prepared. I wanted to feel safe. That was my safety net, you know, having those things, whether it be like, oh, we're going to the beach. I couldn't just say, sure. Yeah. Let's walk to the beach. Oh, I need a sweatshirt. I need a blanket. I can't, you know, like I wasn't able to live fully and just say yes to things. I always felt like I needed to have my stuff, my security, my food sometimes even, you know, so, um, yeah, so that's kind of my, a little bit of my background. Um, one other thing too, that definitely impacted my view of body image and weight loss and all of that as a child was when I was 13, um, my aunt, uh, got the gastric bypass surgery and this is no judgment whatsoever on anyone else that has gotten it because I know it can absolutely change lives, but she got the surgery and ended up dying from complications from it. And that totally destroyed me as a child because I was really close with her and I never saw anything wrong with her. I mean, of course, I could see that she was physically overweight, but the fact that she literally went to any lengths to, to get skinny, you know, and I don't know, the thing is, is I don't know if she ever heard of OA, like, I don't know if anyone, if she tried it or if she ever went to a meeting, cause I didn't know about it until a couple of years ago. So it's not even like that could have been something that I could have suggested, but knowing, seeing that at a very young age, seeing that like, you can fix it, you can go, you can get a surgery, you can, you know, do these diet pills, these weight loss solutions and stuff that I think impacted me. And it, you know, of course was very traumatic for the whole family because it, you know, she was really sad. She passed away on Christmas day and she had two young kids and, you know, it was, it was really rough. And from that point on, I just remember feeling like my weight was like the most important thing about me, you know, and if I lost weight, I would get praised. And if I gained weight, people would be concerned about me. And it was like, I know that I, I knew deep down I had more to offer the world than just gaining and losing weight and eating compulsively. So it was my best friend that was my Eskimo into program. He got sober in AA and he only once, it only took one time that he gently lovingly was like, Hey, did you know that there's a program like AA, but for people with food issues, <laughs> like it was just this tiny little gentle nudge. That's all it took. And I was like, okay, let me try it out. And I went to my first meeting, didn't love it. The first meeting was really small. It was just people that I wasn't really hearing my story. And it was honestly, it was kind of funny thinking back because it was people who had a lot of recovery, a lot, a lot, a lot of years of abstinence. But the way that they were sharing was like, 
I'm totally neutral about food. I don't care about food anymore. Like food is nothing to me. I, you know, I can take it or leave it. And I was so new that I was like, no, I need to hear what it was like. I need to hear what I'm going through right now because I'm so far from neutrality around food right now, you know? So it was my second meeting. That was the one that like clicked for me. That was like, okay, I like this. I was a little scared because I didn't like how much I was identifying. Um, I didn't realize that um, OA specific, like included the full spectrum of anorexia, bulimia, exercise addiction, body image obsession, body dysmorphia, all of that. So when I started hearing the full spectrum, I was like, oh, wow, I really belong because I definitely have fallen under that too of the dieting of the you know body dysmorphia. I mean, even as recently as like last year, I still was grabbing for like the triple XL clothing on the clothing rack because I still kind of saw myself as that big girl. I still, you know, have a hard time really like understanding my body. Like sometimes I just feel like this floating head, like I'm not really a human being. I'm just, I kind of disassociate from my body. And something that's helped with that for sure is finding exercise that I really love and enjoy. Um, I think I was under the impression for a really long time that running was the only thing that you could do or the best thing, the best form of exercise you can do. And I hated running. I had horrible experiences in my you know, gym class in middle school and high school of being the last one when we would run around the track and you know, me huffing and puffing and not able to keep up. And now I have these forms of exercise that feel so loving for my body and I don't do them to get skinny. I do them because they give me energy, because I sleep better at night, because I get genuine joy from them. And obviously during quarantine, things are a little bit different as far as studios and gyms being open and everything. But yoga for sure has been one form of exercise that really has helped me connect my mind, body and spirit all together. Um, I also like to do spin class because of the music. I like to do dance classes because of the music and it's fun. And like, I don't take myself too seriously. Like I think finding a form of exercise that really doesn't feel like torture or punishment and not like basing my workouts on what I ate the day before, it, it, it was huge. That was a huge, huge game changer because I always viewed exercise as something that I hated, but did so that I wouldn't gain weight. Whereas now I do it because I genuinely do love it. And it really does help me just feel better during my day. Um, so I came into program, got a sponsor, got abstinent pretty quickly. Um, after a year, I released um, chips, pretzels, popcorn, crackers, all of those kind of salty, crunchy, munchy things. I just realized, you know, they say the road gets narrower. I realized like those, I can't eat them like a lady. Like, and even if I were to count out six or whatever the serving size is, it's never going to be enough. I never am content with just six pretzels, you know, like I just knew that none was better than one. So I don't really touch those foods anymore. I also have let go of alcohol for today. Um, especially during quarantine, it's been really easy because I haven't really been presented with many opportunities, um, to drink. And it just wasn't, it felt so contradictory to like, I'm working so hard both by exercising, by working this program, like spiritually, mentally, I'm doing all this work. And then to put mild poison into my body, like it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel in alignment with what I, you know, with everything else that I do. I go to such great lengths to make sure that I'm getting, you know, all of the right proteins and all of that kind of stuff that alcohol just wasn't serving me anymore. So for today, I'm releasing that. Um, and I now have 
four sponsees, <laughs> so I'm full, <laughs> um, but they're great. And I, I mean, you know, they say you get so much more out of being a sponsor than being sponsored. And that is absolutely ring true for me. I love, love, love my sponsees. I love learning from them. And I love like when I give them <laughs> my fabulous, thank you so much. When I give them my experience, strength and hope, oftentimes I'll say something and I'll be like, where did that come from? <laughs> like that was all higher power. Like I am just the vehicle, you know, it comes directly from my higher power out of my mouth and, and to my sponsees. And that is just such a testament to how this is a spiritual program, you know, like, yes, there's the community. Yes. There's the meal plan. Yes. There's like the concrete, like, you know, traditions and, and the rules and everything that we follow. But the spiritual aspect is really what kept what is keeping me here. You know, that's what's making this a sustainable thing because it impacts my entire life. When I put the food down and other things start coming up, it's a, it's a spiritual malady that I get to work on every single day. Um, my morning routine looks like I, the night before I put my air, my phone on airplane mode, um, I have a lot of family on the East coast. I'm originally from New Jersey. So sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I have like a flurry of texts from family or friends or whatever. And I just can't, <laughs> I just am like, I cannot write that right now with this. So what I've, I've, I just picked this up recently, like in like the last six months is that I put my phone on airplane mode so that when my alarm goes off, it's quiet. I have this like spiritual boundary with the outside world. Like this is my time and I'm holding that firmly. And I go outside, I have a little balcony and I sit outside and I meditate for 10 to 15 minutes. Sometimes it depends on the day. Sometimes I do a guided meditation. Sometimes I just sit quietly. Sometimes I listen to like Zen meditation music, whatever I'm feeling that day, as long as it's 10 to 15 minutes. And then I write for 10 minutes and I pray and then I turn off airplane mode. So it's like, I do all my things. Like I'm, I'm, putting it out there that I'm like signaling to the universe that this is the most important thing. And that program, anything you put before program, you'll inevitably lose. That's something that my sponsor told me. And so I like doing that, like starting my day off with those boundaries and with program so that, cause it really does set the tone for the day, you know, like it really, really makes such a huge difference when I'm actively seeking conscious contact with my higher power at the beginning of the day. And then at the end of the day, I send my 10th step to my sponsor which is very long, but it's so sometimes I start it early in the night because I know it's like, it's long. And I get to that point where it's like, once I'm in bed, I don't want to be like staring at the screen and like, you know, doing the whole thing. So I, I usually start it. Um, once I'm, once kitchen is closed, you know, once I'm done eating for the night, then that's usually when I start writing out my 10th step. And there's a bunch of questions like, um, you know, was I of service? Was I resentful? You know, all of those um, types of things just to reconnect and stay grounded in, in program. And um, service is also a really big part of my program. Um, in the last year, I joined the Los Angeles board as the communications chair. Um, I, it's funny because I agreed to, or, you know, it was, it was brought to me like saying like, Hey, I think you'd be great for this position. Would you consider running? Um, when the only job requirement for the role was to do the 12th step, which is our monthly newsletter. And I'm a graphic designer. So I was like, sure, that makes sense. Like utilizing my skills, being of maximum service. Okay. And then quarantine happened and COVID happened. And then all of a sudden the zoom stuff just became my 
project. And I'm so, so grateful for this opportunity though, because I easily, if it was too much, I could have said no, but I realized, I recognized pretty quickly that even though this like isn't quite the same, of course, we all all dearly, dearly miss our in-person meetings. This presents us with a very unique opportunity to connect with fellows all over the world and to be able to relate and connect with newcomers that maybe were too scared to show up to an in-person meeting, but like really needed that support. And being able to make new friends and connect with people on these meetings has just been such a gift through this quarantine. Obviously, it's been an unprecedented time. I know everyone uses that word, but it's true. I mean, our program never, there's no bylaws explaining what to do with Zoom meetings. Like there's no like, you know, directions or or rules or anything on, you know, because we've never experienced this before. And so learning to practice the traditions in this way has been huge because I don't know if I would have truly comprehended the traditions as well as I do now if I hadn't been given a service position. And one thing too that I'll say is that when I worked my seventh step, um, writing out all of my defects and humbly asking God to remove them, um, impatience is one of them. And like right around my seventh step is when I like got this service position. So it's funny because I really do notice that whenever I ask God to remove a defect of character, he immediately presents me with an opportunity to practice that defect, you know, like working on that defect and literally being patient and being kind and being understanding and being of, of maximum service without like compromising my own serenity has just been such a gift. And I'm so, so, so incredibly thankful for that opportunity to be of service in that way um, because it really keeps me abstinent. It really, it's no longer just about me anymore. Like now I have my sponsees. Now I have this amazing community. I see you, Selma, is that time? Yeah, okay, I'll wrap up. Thank you. Um, so yeah, it's it's no longer about me. It's it's a we program, right? You know, and, and we're doing this together and we're walking this road together. And I'm so, so grateful to um, be on this meeting with you and to be trudging the road of happy destiny. So with that, I will pass. Thank you so much.